Is your personal brand a value driver for you? This is the Economics for Business podcast. We are here to help all businesses become champions for customers and value, improving lives with preferred and innovative products and services. We offer you the knowledge and tools to make your entrepreneurial journey a successful one. Now, here's your host, Hunter Hastings. Hi, Hunter Hastings here. A brand is a valuable economic asset. The term valuable in Austrian economics refers to the benefit experienced by customers and consumers. Customers assign value to brands for emotional reasons. They love their Ford F-150 pickup truck. Their Nike shoes help them feel cool. Chick-fil-A is their favorite fast food joint. Tide makes mom feel like she's running a good household, and Williams-Sonoma makes her feel like she's a well-equipped, highly competent cook. It's not the rubber and the aluminum or the performance of the shoe fabric or the chicken sandwich or the chemical detergent or the pots and pans that generate these feelings. It's the brand. The Austrian economists observe how perceived value translates into willingness to pay on the customer's behalf. And for brands, the willingness to pay often includes a premium price versus unbranded or more poorly branded alternative choices and a loyalty and repeat purchase pattern. These customer behaviors stream back to the corporation as cash flow. Brands can be thought of as value drivers and hence sources of cash flow. The CFROI, or cash flow return on investment, of building brands is very high. That's why brand-owning corporations allocate so many resources in this direction, in the form of advertising, logo prominence, sponsorships, package design, promotion, PR, social media, and so on. They want their brands to be perceived as valuable. Brand marketing is not just communications and imagery, it's also behavior. On-time delivery, easy return policies, after-sales service for your F-150, usage advice and lifestyle guidelines and demonstrations like recipes and cooking videos for food brands and Williams-Sonoma kitchen equipment. They all reinforce brand strength. We can think of a brand as both perception and behavior. The same can be said for individuals. We want to be perceived in a certain way, and that perception has value. We want our boss to see us as a problem solver or a team leader or someone who can be given responsibility. We want our colleagues to be inspired to productive collaboration. We might want to be the go-to person for a specific skill set like coding or accounting. We want to be seen as the trusted advisor or the reliable producer. Well, guess what? You're a brand. Your behavior results in perceptions. You want to actively shape those perceptions. You never want to damage your brand. It might result in lower economic performance and reduce cash flows. You want your brand to be a value driver. Our guest today, Catherine Caputa, devotes her marketing practice to the brand of you. She has a new book published this month with the title, The New Brand You. She's distilling a stellar career in brand marketing and advertising for some of the world's biggest brands and most effective campaigns, working for both top companies and top brand marketing agencies. And now she's helping us apply those skills to ourselves as brands. We'll learn a lot from her about brand building in general and personal brand building in particular. Catherine, welcome to the Economics of Business podcast. Great to be here. Well, it's great to see you. And you are an expert in a subject that we're enthusiastic about, which is the economic power of brands. You're an expert on nurturing that economic power. 
We'll talk about positioning and identity and relevance and differentiation, all the level, all the levels of emotional engagement that brands can take us to. And that's how value is created. It's how value is built. Um, but we also like to tell journey stories, Catherine, and that's not precisely where you started. So perhaps you could give us your origin <laughs> no. story as we get into this. Right. Well, I'd like to tell you at five years old, I had it all figured out what I wanted to do, but that's not my experience. I had a meandering route into branding and personal branding. Um, my first job was my dream job, a curatorial assistant in Asian art at the Seattle Art Museum. And, you know, I, you know, it was like the perfect thing. I put together museum exhibits. We did some international exhibits. Um, I started working on my PhD in Asian art. Then I had, I was in pretty deep. Then I had my first branding crisis. Who am I? All the angst that, you know, a lot of us have in college. Um, and, you know, I thought, you know, I really don't know if I want to spend the rest of my life as an Asian art historian. And I kind of thought, well, you know, I'm going to come to New York, the capital of the world, leave my great job, leave my PhD program and find a job in branding or advertising or journalism, which was my first love before I switched to Asian art. So, you know, here I am in New York City and everywhere I went, I was branded. And I was branded as a, an academic, as an Asian, Asian art historian that wasn't even appropriate for an entry-level job. So, you know, kind of figure how can I get out of this? How can I appeal to people with my background? So I came up with the idea of positioning myself as a marketer for difficult products. And I compared marketing Asian art exhibits at the Seattle Art Museum to, you know, I had to be more creative and inventive to attract a Western audience to our shows. And so, you know, this whole idea of, you know, I'm a marketer for difficult products got traction. You know, people saw me as a marketer now, not as an academic. And that's how I got my first job in advertising at Trout and Reese Advertising. Um, they call themselves the positioning agency. Um, and it was a great experience. You know, I worked with two of the guys uh, that really kind of created the whole idea of positioning, uh, Al Reese and Jack Trout. And, um, you know, I learned a lot there. But after four years, you know, I thought, you know, gee, I want to work at a hot creative agency. I had worked at a very strategic place. And I had at this point, you know, made some friends in New York in the ad business. And some of them, you know, were flying out to L.A., staying at the Beverly Hills Hotel, shooting commercials. And, you know, here I am, you know, sitting at my desk all the time doing brand strategy analysis. So, you know, again, I was branded, but not in a way it, I wanted to be branded. This time I was branded um, as somebody that was an expert in strategy, but not a creative. Um, anyway, so looking for a job, I had a friend that worked at Wells Rich Green, which was one of the hot creative agencies in New York at, at the time. And he said, you know, they're looking for someone to head up the I Love New York campaign, but they're looking for somebody with a lot of TV experience. And he said, you know, you don't really qualify. And he said, you know, by the way, I don't know if you want this to work on this account. You know, it's a very difficult client. You have to build consensus with politicians uh, to sell in the advertising on the I Love New York campaign. And I said, get me an interview. So he gets me an interview and it kind of gave me an idea, you know, the, when he told me the problems that the client had faced. And so, of course, you know, during the interview, the, one of the first things they asked me is, why are you here? 
And I said, well, my specialty is working on difficult products. And then I said, and with difficult clients. And I gave examples of how I built consensus. And that's how I got the job, you know, heading up the I Love New York campaign. Uh, The five years I worked there, I got a lot of TV experience. I shot commercials with Frank Sinatra, Liza Minnelli, many more, all the Broadway shows. So, you know, think of positioning yourself so you make that bridge so people could see you in the job, solving their problem. Well, you're certainly at the top of the top with Trout and Reese and Wells Rich Green. Those names aren't around now, but they were mm-hmm. they were the best in the business at the time. And Mary Wells was a glamorous female head of an agency, right. which was a great rarity right. then. Yeah. Very much a rarity, yes. We all had like antique furniture in our office, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> a woman CEO of the ad agency. So it wasn't your normal desk, you know, it was really... You know, we had nice lamps and nice furniture. Yeah, part of the positioning. Yeah. Then you uh, you switched across from the agency side to the client side for a while, as we call it in the in the business, crossing right, the, right. crossing the chasm. Uh, tell us about that. You were in Wall Street for a while. I was in Wall Street for a while, and after I'd worked on the I Love New York campaign, it was a great campaign. Um, I thought, well, gee, I needed to round out my my, my resume, you know, I wanted to get corporate experience. And again, you know, I was branded not in the way I wanted to be branded. I was branded as an ad agency person, not somebody who could work in a corporation. I I didn't have a PhD. I mean, I didn't have an MBA. Um, so again, I was getting, you know, very frustrated, but through networking, I got an interview. And, um, one of the questions, the executive vice president in charge of marketing and sales asked me was, you know, it was, an, it was working on the, working at Shearson Lehman Brothers and it was working, uh, heading up all the branding and advertising globally for the corporate image campaign, as well as brokerage, retail brokerage and investment banking. And so one of the people, the most senior person I interviewed with said, what makes you think you can handle the investment bankers of Lehman Brothers? And I said, well, I've worked, my specialty is working on difficult products and with difficult clients. I worked on the I Love New York campaign. I sold advertising into politicians and career civil servants in that job. I think I can handle the investment bankers of Lehman Brothers. And so I got this great job on the corporate side. And that positioning has worked in multiple multiple contexts, right? The handling right, of difficult yeah. problems and, and clients. That's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, the moral of my story is, and I think this is true for everyone, is um, if you don't brand yourself, other people will. And I can tell you they're not going to brand you the way you want to be branded. That's why you want to take the reins yourself. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about your newest book. It's one of several, but um, the key to it is The New Brand You. It it takes all your wealth of marketing and branding experience and your multiple perspectives. You created a a whole new practice out of it, which we'll we'll talk about. But I'd like a little bit to talk about the brand side before the brand of you, um, Catherine, just to to help people who are not maybe marketing steeped like, like you are into how to think about positioning. We've used that word a lot, but... How exactly does a marketer think about positioning? What is it? What are the techniques and methods and and analyses that go on? A big part of positioning is thinking outward in. You really want to begin with your customers, customers first. And so basically positioning is having a differentiator that sets you apart from others who do with what you do. 
You must be able to answer the question, unlike others, I blah, blah, blah. So, you know, the whole idea of positioning began in the branding world. So how to, you know, you, you, you really look at what the competition is in the branding world and you try to find the white space. You try to find an area um, that no one owns, that you could own, that's true for you. So you're looking, you know, one of the other ways of looking at positioning is it's the space that a brand owns in the minds of customers. And it's important to think about because the right positioning is everything. Um, because in the world of brands, as well as, you know, the world of uh, business, it's all about perceptions. It doesn't matter which brand is better. It's what brand customers perceive as better. And it's the same with people. Um, I, one of the th ways I like to look at branding is it's attaching an idea to a product. You want to attach an idea to yourself, a focused idea. Being a product that does everything is nowheresville in branding. You want to stand for one focused idea. And you want a different idea that clearly differentiates you from others in some way that's important. You know, branding is about contrast. So you... You know, one of the things, you know, when I was telling you about my little marketing journey, I never met anyone that used that positioning that I did, marketer for difficult products. Um, but it worked with people because, you know, there always were difficult products um, or difficult clients. And th there was a problem area. And you're looking for a relevant idea. It needs to be needed and relevant. And the whole focus of my book is the new world of work. You know, everything is changing. Things are moving quicker and faster. And so you really want to make sure that you're relevant for the current marketplace because pundits and uh, futurists say that there's going to be much more rapid pace of change and you have to really be on top of that. Yeah, and so you're, you're saying that brand positioning as a, <clears throat> as a process and a skill and a set of techniques is, is self-applicable to us as, as individuals. And we think of what we're trying to achieve, get a customer or get a job or, or um, present ourselves as that's, that's the customer. So we're, we're selling ourselves to the customer. Is that, is that a fair way to look at it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think um, just like in the branding world, we all have customers. You know, if you work at a company, your customer, your number one customer is your boss, you know, but colleagues are customers, senior leaders at the company are, are customers. So you really need to think of what perceptions do these people have of me? What do I want them to see as my strength and what my differentiator and what I stand for? So it's very helpful to, you know, think in terms of customers, customer first, and understand that and also understand where's the marketplace now? What are the problems? How are things changing in what I do? And how can I stay in tune with that change and be an important part of that change? Yeah, and one of the items I noted in your book, Catherine, was a very disciplined idea that branding is about subtraction. You've said there should right. be one idea that we attach to ourselves. It should be simple for people to understand. And therefore, we've got to subtract a lot of stuff and be disciplined about right. the one part that we want to, want to focus on. That, how do I do that discipline? <clears throat> yeah, well, you know, when I worked on the I Love New York campaign, there was a lot of pressure. You have a lot of different things that are in New York. You know, we got museums, we got tons of restaurants, you know, we've got Broadway theater. But what we were looking for was 
the unique selling proposition, the thing to hang our hat on. And that we decided the, the, the thing that New York has that nobody else has is the glamorous nightlife. And there's only one Broadway and it's in New York. And so all the first years of the commercials were all focused on this. Now, obviously in New York, there's many other things, just like there's many things you can do. But if you position yourself as a a business person who can do everything, you really appeal to no one. And so that was why, you know, I, I really wanted to convey that idea of subtraction in the book, that anything that other people do that you do that's too much of a me too idea, you want to eliminate that. You want to come up with a singular idea that's different for what from what other people are marketing and saying about themselves so that you stand out and that meets a need in the marketplace. And it's, you know, I often say you want to be able to brand yourself in a sentence. You know, most people are very poor at marketing themselves. You know, I was when I worked at ad agencies and when I worked uh, on Wall Street, I interviewed many people and you'd say, you know, tell me about yourself. And it was like, you know, they really have a hard time answering that question. And you really, that's why I think it's very important to think of um, what your key idea is, be able to brand yourself in a sentence, and then you can articulate and bring it to life, for example, and give people examples of why that positioning and how you can solve their problem. Everybody's interested in their problem. And you know, just some of the examples I gave you, I wasn't really qualified for those jobs by the description, but I understood what their key problem was and how I could solve that for them. You know, and that's what made all the difference. You know, it may seem counterintuitive, but you're stronger when you narrow your focus. You know, it's the rule of singularity and branding. You know, the most, the mistake most people make is you know, as I said earlier, trying to appeal to everyone and you end up appealing to no one. And then you'll find out as your focus becomes narrower, you're known for one positioning idea and people will remember that. Yeah. I remember from my brand days, we always tried to strive for the sentence that only brand X can. So right. a unique, right. a unique delivery capability. Right. So that's a key question to ask yourself, you know, and and I know one of the things, you know, I think, you know, you said to me earlier, well, what about, you know, you took the uh, brand uh, assessment test that, you know, I have a link in my book for the online test to figure out, you know, what your strengths are and what the best positioning is. And, you know, for most people, it isn't a hundred percent in one thing. You know, most of us are maybe 50% this and 30% or, you know, maybe there's the top two or maybe there's the top three. Um, and so how do you do that when you, you know, how, how do you figure out where to hang your hat? And I think, you, you know, you want to look at the customers and, you know, your customers that you're marketing yourself to. What do they need? What will stand out? Where is an area that has the most opportunity? But there's ways to, you know, sort of do a mashup. Um, you know, when I was marketing myself, you know, I talked to, you know, marketed for difficult products, then I expanded that difficult products with difficult people. Um, but also like a a client who was in financial services, um, wanted to get hired in a business role in a dynamic, creative agency. He was working at a bank and, you know, he wasn't getting anywhere. So one of the things he did in analyzing himself and deciding his positioning was this whole idea of being a mashup, that I have the mind of a businessman 
and the soul of a creative. And, you know, it was a catchy line and it got him in the door. And one of the things he did in that vein, instead of sending, a, he did some, you know, cold calling, you know, sending a, a, a cover letter to top digital agencies that he wanted to work at. And, but instead of sending like the normal resume, he put together a short PowerPoint presentation about the company and, you know, the agency that he was marketing himself for and what he could bring to the party. And it was like a very creative, it wasn't like a PowerPoint with, you know, 500 bullets, but, you know, just very visual scenes, few words. Um, it got him hired. And so he was able to make that transition, mind of a businessman, soul of a creative. I have another friend who uh, scored high in leadership and she wanted to be known as a leader. But one of the other things that was a differentiating thing about her and people recognized in her was she had a lot of empathy. And so we ended up putting it together as the empathetic leader. And, you know, people liked working with her and working for her because they felt she understood them. She was on their side. So she was a very good, you know, team leader. A quick note, Economics for Business is a uniquely Austrian platform to help entrepreneurs build value-generating businesses at every stage of the entrepreneurial journey. We've now launched online with an outstanding database of entrepreneurial knowledge, tools to solve specific business problems, and a community exchange to share information and experiences. Check it out at econforbusiness.com. That's E-C-O-N, the number four, business.com. Explore and let us know what works best for you in the feedback section. Now, back to our conversation. Well, you, you've made uh, tangential reference to this, uh, Catherine. One of the wonderful things in your book is these 10 personal brand positioning strategies. Right. And in each one, you lay out how to think about it, how to analyze yourself, how to position yourself, how to figure out the one sentence, what the, you know, what the key attributes are. Um, you mentioned one, for example, like leader. I, right. I scanned through that and I picked innovator. I would love to be known as an innovator in right. applying economics to business. So I looked at that and there's, there's lots of help. But as you said, I came out of the question on selfbrand.com that, that checks my proclivities, I guess you might call them. I'm an innovator, engineer, and expert, which are all very nice, but it's a mashup, as you say. So right, just tell right. me how to, how to navigate that. If I, do I choose innovator first or do I do the test first? What, what's your guidance? Well, I, I think you do the test, but you have to really look to at where, what's needed most in the market. You know, where are there fewer competitors that you can really stand out? Um, the innovator is, you know, one of the most powerful positioning strategies um, because it's, you know, really about people who create new things. The first to do something new and innovative that others recognize. You know, they're super problem solvers, bold risk takers. And I think that's going to be, you know, very important in the new world of work, you know, because they're predicting there's going to be a lot more change and dynamism. I think we're already seeing that. It's a much more digital world that we're all working in. And... Uh, one of the things that's interesting when I was um, doing a lot of research on innovators is it isn't a eureka moment that you're hit with like a bolt of lightning and, you know, with this great idea. 
innovators work hard at coming up with innovations. That's their thing. They're looking for. And I, I just think when you're mentioning your background, um, Hunter, you know, this whole area of economics and business, to me, it's a fresh idea. I'm not familiar with it. And that's a way to stand out. But you have to have a, a theory, you know, that why it's important to apply it to business. And but that's an interesting idea because it's fresh. It's new. It's white space. I haven't heard of other places that are working with that kind of idea. And, um, you know, I talk in the book about a lot of brands, you know, Apple obviously is a very innovative brand, you know, they MacBook, iPod, iPad, iWatch, the list of innovations go on and on. And, you know, but they're constantly looking for what's the new big idea that we can do. And if that fits who, what your strengths are, you want to build on that. Um, you know, and and we all have, you know, the other traits that you're good in, uh, like engineer or things like that. That's a part of your strength as an innovator, because there's a bit of an engineer in most innovators because they're they're, they're looking for the white space and to create something. But, you know, the, it's that whole idea of, you know, the finding the new idea and putting it together. And that takes like the me method as well. Yeah, we're finding in our project it's hard work, but we're <laughs> we're making progress. Yeah, it's always hard work, unfortunately. Yeah. So, may I ask you which of the ten uh, positioning strategies is most like you, or which one you're following, or yeah, which yeah. Ones you're well, combining? right now, I, I mean, I have my own company, Self Brand, so my whole focus is is uh, working with people. You know, my whole differentiator is you know, unlike others who do what I do, I have a background in branding and advertising. So I apply principles and strategies from the commercial world, world of brands to people. And I, I think if you look at other people that are in this whole niche that I'm in, personal branding, um, they're generally people that were in HR before. And, you know, they're career coaches, that kind of idea. And they expand to this personal branding. But I really, you know, I'm steeped in the branding principles and things like that. So that's something a little different that I bring to the party. Um, but I, as I said, I, I would characterize my early years when I was marketing myself as, you know, marketer for difficult products and with difficult people. You know, it's really this idea of, you know, attribute branding, owning a word. And the word I wanted to own was difficult. And I would say to people, you know, give me your tough assignments, give me your difficult assignments. Um, that's where I can really shine for you. And um, it, get, it got me in the door because other people weren't saying that. Most people didn't want to work on difficult accounts. And I felt I had a strength there because I, you know, I, I was challenged by working on, you know, working with those investment bankers when I was on Wall Street. Uh, they are demanding, you know, they make a lot of money. They're very smart, brilliant people. And, uh, but they, you know, you got to hold your ground. And if you do that and show how you can help them and, you know, and, and the whole advertising business and how it can help them with their business and be more successful, then you can be successful. Um, right now, I'm using the expert strategy. You know, my expertise is in branding and marketing, and, um, and I focus specifically on personal branding. And, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier, Hunter, you know, I have this new book that's, you know, just came out this week, actually. Um, but my, all my books have been on branding or personal branding. So I want to like have a strong presence in that niche. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, you've, you're certainly very consistent in building that up over time. You're a recognized expert. 
Right. Um, just to throw some variety in here, Catherine, one of the other positioning strategies I really loved reading about is the Maverick, which uh, right. is a bit topical now because of Tom Cruise and Top Gun. But there are some right. situations where it's beneficial to be a maverick, right? What, what would those be? Right. It often is, you know, because, um, you know, as I thought about it and looked at mavericks, um, you know, as much as we admire leaders and strong leaders in our country, we also have a soft spot for the underdog, you know, and for people like Maverick in the movie. And, um, you know, you know, I use examples, you know, uh, Steve Jobs is, you know, poster child for being a maverick. And, you know, he was super, super successful and did a lot of breakthroughs. And part of that positioning and Elon Musk, I mentioned in the book, is a maverick. And we have many of them. And I think we have a soft spot for these people that don't follow the rules. That's the whole thing about a maverick. One of the things, you know, it's also called opposite positioning or reverse positioning. So what if you want to position yourself as a maverick, you're the everything the leader stands for, you're the opposite. You know, it's think of, you know, some of these names that I mentioned, but you stand out because you don't follow the crowd. You don't do what everybody else is doing but you're very smart and you come up with revolutionary type ideas because of your maverick nature. And, you know, most mavericks, you know, dress differently than the, you know, you look at, you know, Elon Musk, you know, has a, you know, bomber jacket that he wears a lot, or, you know, Steve Jobs, of course, was famous with his turtlenecks, um, but they look different. You know, they cut, they, they make their own rules and maybe we don't have the courage to live that way, but we like them just the same. So, um, and the other thing about Mavericks is they create a lot of press. They create a lot of ink. You know, they're speak, you know, so they're very, tend to be very high profile. We know who they are. Um, they use social media. They use the regular media a lot. They're generally good for a quip or a quote. So, you know, they, they're rule breakers, you know, and that's what makes them very strong. And, uh, and they're very creative and they're hardworking and, they deliver a lot. And I think you tend to see mavericks in careers and industries that are more creative or uh, innovative, but every company has some mavericks that work there because, you know, and, and particularly in certain areas, product development, things like that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, I certainly recommend the book highly because there are seven more that we haven't discussed, seven more positioning strategies. So it's a... <laughs> It's a really interesting read, but I want to move on to some general points that apply to all of the strategies, Catherine. One of them really intrigued me was uh, when you and I were in the branding business, we thought about what they call brand identity, which is package design and presentation and choice of colors and logos and things like that. And you said, hey, that's true in personal branding too. You got to think about your visual identity and and choose it actively and and use it consistently. So. Can you talk about right. that? It's, it's a bit, uh, it, right. it's a bit yeah, unusual I mean, to I think, think in those similar. terms. Yeah, I think it's similar because, um, you know, I, as I see it, the branding process simplifying is like a three-step process. Step number one is analyze to find your brand idea. And that's, you know, developing this positioning idea, uh, defining who your target audience is, being able to brand yourself in a sentence, having support statements, three reasons to believe. Um, but step number two is, you know, I'm calling it packaging, quote unquote, packaging the brand with a visual identity and a verbal identity. And, um, you know, 
visuals are silent ambassadors. You know, they communicate a lot about yourself. Um, you know, if you want to be seen as a creative person, you want, you got to look a little creative, you know, you don't want to look, you know, in a super, super traditional outfit. Um, so, cause it, it, it powerfully communicates, you know, I was struck, you know, we just had an election, uh, and, you know, one of the distinct people using visual identity was John Fetterman in Pennsylvania. You know, he always wore a hoodie and shorts. Everybody else is in a business suit and everybody running for Congress or Senate and uh, all the meetings and uh, rallies they were at were all dressed, you know, in a typical business scarf. This guy stood out. But, you know, so what was he communicating with his look? you know, I'm the guy, I'm the senator for the working man, you know, I'm the right person to, you know, if you're a working person, it's me. And I think people like that. He stood out. And, I, you know, one of the things in, you know, branding that's important is visibility. You know, you, you want to be seen, you want to be known. And then that's why they spend all this money on advertising and, you know, social media and things like that, PR, because there's an advantage. There's a, there's a premium. There's a visibility premium. The more visible you are, the, the odd thing is people think you're better. Somebody that's high profile, they think is better than somebody that has no profile. So, <clears throat> you know, if you talk to managers, the easiest person to promote are people you know. And that's why in the new world of work, you got to think about visibility because you're not going into the office often every day or you're working with people who are working remotely and or hybridly and you need to figure out how to stand out in that. But yeah, part of, so part of the way I approach it is, you know, step number two is packaging the brand with a visual identity and a verbal identity. And just think about that. You know, is there a way you want to communicate your own style, your own vibe. You don't want to be a cookie cutter looking person if you're really want to use the principles of personal branding. I was Go going right there. Verbal identity. Tell us about that, because you know, here we are in the world of podcasting. We're audio, and and uh, right. how how do I think about verbal identity? Well, I think verbal identity is, you know, I, I list a number of different types of verbal identity. I mean, the the first thing marketers think about if they're creating a new product is, you know, what am I going to name this product? You know, it's it's a very important strategic decision what are we what are we going to call it and a name can make or break you now of course we don't give ourselves a name you know we're born and parents generally give us a name um but names can help or hurt you too just the same and i think that you know historically in the past a lot of celebrities or people that want to be celebrities simplified their names if they had a complicated name and you know everyone's going to google you so you want to be findable and that, you know that's why i mentioned you know you may want to think about if you have a very common name to include a middle initial or a middle name or a double barreled last name um, because you want a name that's easy to remember ideally different and uh, you know so that you can be found on search you know podcasts are really interesting because the power of voice you know i talk a little bit about voice as brand and your voice is a very powerful tool. No voice is exactly like yours. We're all got a unique voice. And I think in the business world, you want to be, you know, part of verbal identity is your communication skills. How are you at meetings? How are you at presenting? Do you raise your hand and participate? All of those things you want to think of. Um, one of the little stories I mentioned in the book is Fiona Hill. 
Um, she had a you know distinctive British accent during President Trump's first impeachment trial, and you know even Trump said he loved her accent. <laughs> you know he didn't <laughs> like her testimony, <laughs> but right. he loved her right. accent. So she got a lot of attention from her presentation, certainly, but that voice helped her too, yeah. from a personal branding standpoint. She came out with a book not too long ago about her background. And of course, you know, she's an expert in Russia and uh, the Ukra Ukraine. Um, but, you know, she talks about her accent. And, uh, you know, apparently it's a low, lower class northeastern British accent. Well, you, you're yeah, from Britain. A, you from Britain? Yeah, it's my part of the world. And actually the, the accents we carried around from northern England were... were uh looked down upon by the aristocrats in the South, but that's, that's changed over time. And now it's become authentic and real and, and so right. on. So she, she's not so posh, as we would say it. Right. <laughs> but right. yeah, she was and very, I, she was very distinctive. You always knew when it was very her distinctive. who was talking. I mean, it was incredible. And I think that, yeah, I read that too, because of where she was and knew, everybody that was British knew tell it right away. And it was a working class accent. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Americans so we like of... accents, and it makes you more distinctive. Yep. So you have a you have a great little phrase that sums all of this up, uh, Catherine, in the book, which is "become a little bit famous." Right. So right. Kind of. What is it? Try be a celebrity in your own small circle, or what do you, well, what do you mean when yeah, you tell you us to do that? You want to be visible. You want to be visible, and you know, in some arena, you know, it could be. You know, in your company, it could be in your department, it could be in your industry, um, it could be a specialty group, uh, you know, that your company supports. Um, but I think, you know, you want to think about, you know, about visibility and being known for something. And that's where, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I don't want to be, be a self-promoter. But I'm not talking about somebody that's you know, bragging about themselves or, you know, overindulging in social media posts and things like that. You know, nobody likes a showboater that, you know, dominates, but you want to have a presence and you want people to know your accomplishments and you have to figure out a way to, um, you know, that's why I think, you know, part of being a little bit famous is having a LinkedIn profile that's thoughtful and really defines your brand and gives people examples and having a nice picture that you want to convey the image that you want to convey. Um, you know, very important uh, to have visibility. You know, brands, you know, as I said earlier, you know, spend a lot of money on advertising. They spend a lot of money on, you know, PR and things like that because there's a visibility premium and, you know, you're more likely to be hired if, you know, I heard of her or I heard of him must be good. Or I never heard of this person must not be as good as the person I've heard their reputation. So you really want to, you know, cultivate, you know, a little bit famous, you know, in some arena, you know, that can, so that people know, Oh, you know, she's strong in this, you know, the people ha understand your identity and the value that you bring to a business situation now with hybrid working and remote working, you know, it was easy to be, invisible in the old world of work when we went to work every day. But it's much harder now if you're working remotely or, you know, a lot of people are a little worried about it. You know, that fear of missing out, FOMO, you know, it's, um, and frankly, they have a reason to be a little weird, uh, afraid of it because visibility is important for brands. And, you know, there's communications theory about rich media versus 
lean media. And rich media is the strongest. And rich media is in-person meetings. And, you know, it's real time. You can, you know, you have all the dimensions, light, you know, sound, visuals. Um, You can read people's body language, you know. So it's a very powerful way to communicate. Also in rich media, not as powerful as in person, is Zoom meetings, video meetings, where you can, you know, see the other person. Um, And it's real time, but you're not there in person. But the, in contrast with rich media and which a lot of people that are working remotely are focusing on lean media is emailing and emails and texting. And, you know, email is, you know, isn't that emotional. It's harder to have a connection to people when you're building your relationship mainly on email. So that's why you want to have some video meetings, even if it's just one-to-one, have some video meetings so that you, you, there's more of an opportunity under rich media for connection. But you know, email is good if you have like a status report or detailed information you want to send. Um, and as we know, text signals immediacy. So if you have something short and quick that you need a response on, it's a good way to do that. But I think that, you know, a lot of remote people don't have enough. Um, and, and frankly, if you're working remotely, you want to work at a remote friendly company that will, you know, have events where you can meet people in person um, and that kind of thing. That's important because it's easy. You know, the first person to lose their job are people that are invisible in a company. It's like, I don't know them. I don't know what they do. Right. Well, in fact, to that point, Catherine, you say in the book that in this day and age, uh, personal branding is not just important, it's, it's necessary. It's not optional, you say. We've got to right. do this and for this, this new environment that we're in. So um, reading your book will help, but what else should I be doing besides, besides that in terms of developing the skills to, to uh, well, succeed yeah, in I, this? I think we need everybody, you know, when I, when I was talking about the, the, the three-step process, the third step is marketing brand you. And I think most people leave our experience to chance. And I think you need to come up with a marketing plan for yourself. And it could be as simple as, you know, focusing on developing a strong LinkedIn presence, see if there's other social media that is important, getting involved in your company, if they have ERGs or employee resource groups or things like that. Um, But you want to take charge. I think most people leave everything to chance and they don't realize there's a lot you can do. And, um, you know, think in terms of markets, what are the different markets that you're in? You, you know, your customers, your clients and things like that. You want to figure out a game plan, not only positioning yourself, but also steps that you're going to take to have more visibility and more connection. What's the best way to find out what, the perception of other people is of me now that I might want to change. It's hard, hard to ask. That's a good question. I think number one, listen to people give you a lot of information. So listen to what people compliment you on. What does your boss compliment you on? What do people criticize you for? Your boss criticizes you for that's getting information who, if you're in an in-person meeting, who sits near you, who doesn't, you know, all of these things, you know, um, give you information and it's listening to them, listening to, um, you know, what people say and, um, about you or ask them after you gave a presentation, um, how do you think it went? 
and just listen. Don't get defensive if they're offering criticism. But there's a lot of ways of getting information by just observing and or even asking, how do, how do you think this meeting went? Um, you know, when I presented that idea, how do you think? Did you think people got it or do I need to communicate it in a better way? So it's a little of this and a little of that. You yeah. can even say, hey, I'm I'm working on personal branding and, you know, I'd love to have coffee with you and get your thoughts on how do you see me? What are my strengths? And think of these positioning strategies. You know, if you were, you know, ask them questions. If I were a famous person, who would it be? The kind of things we would do in, you know, advertising uh, research. If I was a famous person, if I was a car, which one would it be and why? And listen to what people say. And I think you can... Um, and if peop- and if you're positioning yourself or the way you want to be positioned is not being conveyed by other people, you got to think of what you can do to communicate better so that people understand what your value is. Good. Well, Catherine, this is wonderful and about thinking about the customer first, even when you're positioning yourself and using the techniques of positioning and <clears throat> marketing planning right. and, and so on. We'll link to your book. Thank you. Um, tell us about your website where I took the the test. Anybody can do that, right? What what is that? Right. Well, it, it actually is a link that is in the book, so it's not something I have on the website. Um, I have a short version of it that's on the website, but the longer version of the test that's more much more detailed uh, is in the book uh, on chapter three. It is. Um, but I think the key thing I want to leave people with is, you know, branding can be subtle or grading. It can be engaging or self-centered. But if you don't participate, you're going to be left behind. You know, you're branding yourself whether you think you are or not, because even doing nothing says something. People are going to Google you and they're either going to find a strong LinkedIn profile and brand presence. And, you know, I think everyone should have a website. Um and they'll either find a strong profile, a weak one, or nothing. You know, so it's up to you. Yep. Great advice, Catherine. Thank you so much for today. As I say, we'll link to your book. We'll link to your website. And you can be found on YouTube as well. So yes. just by searching your name. Is anywhere else we should look for you? Um, well, the key thing is selfbrand.com, my website, selfbrand.com. And, um, you know, Google me, you know, you'll see what I'm up to. Obviously, I have a new book that just came out this week. So I'm writing some pieces here and there, um, you know, and doing interviews. And thank you for inviting me. And uh, it's an evolving thing. You know, it's the whole thing about branding is it never ends. It's never like I'm finished. Everything's great because the world is too dynamic. It's changing. And so you have to modify your brand or. Uh, maybe you have different challenges or different goals at, you know, at different phases of your life. Good. Well, thank you very much again, Catherine. And uh, I, I really enjoyed the book. I really recommend it to listeners. It's a great personal value as well as business value. So we'll get a lot from it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Economics for Business is a production of the Mises Institute. To explore more content like this, visit econforbusiness.com. And for more from Hunter Hastings, visit hunterhastings.com.